Welcome. You're listening to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm Rena Glazer. Today's guest is Nora Rogers from Nelson Mullins, Riley, and Scarborough. Nora spoke to us from Columbia, South Carolina, where she is based. We discussed her role at the firm, its pro bono program, impact litigation, special projects to help the homeless, veterans, and more. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's nice to be here. Let's jump right in. So to start, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to Nelson Mullins? Well, it was so long ago, so (laughs) let me think back. I got to Nelson Mullins. um, Actually, I started and I am still a senior paralegal here at Nelson Mullins, and I spend um, 80% of my time coordinating the pro bono program. So I have been with the firm for, I hate to admit, 32 years and um, obviously don't like change but really love the firm and have stayed. Um, I became coordinator of the program, um, I believe it's been about 25 years ago, and I honestly think I I just kind of fell into it outside of work. um, I started volunteering to be... um, a guardian ad litem to assist abused and or neglected children in family court here in Columbia, South Carolina. And from that, um, I spent many years learning about the family court and just um, enjoyed the entire process and had wonderful mentors there. And um, did a lot of community service work and worked on many other pro bono files at the farm. Um, and so I was just inspired by the work and when the opportunity Arose, George Cawthon here at our office asked me if I'd like to um, consider um, them being the coordinator. Um, of, you know, it was much smaller back then. We only had about 40 or 50 lawyers um, when I started. So I jumped at the chance and um, I am still here. Um, and hopefully they're still glad I'm here. <laughs> I, I, have so. no, I have no doubt. And I mean, 25 <laughs> years, I think we can say, you know. It's been a long ride. It's been a great one. <laughs> yeah, the shoe fits. That's amazing. So let's, yeah. talk, let's talk a little bit about your role as the firm's pro bono coordinator. What does that mean? How do you spend your time? I spend my time really doing a variety of um, things, and really I do spend 100% of my time as the coordinator, Um, and um, I spend my time, um, you know, just working individually with the attorneys, um, learning what they would like to do, talking about pro bono, getting them engaged, and then, you know, getting their matters um, into the office and staffed and get them up and running. Um, I also spend a lot of time, of course, working with outside service providers. Um, Over the years, I've started many clinics um, and other programs. I work on providing training and then I work on also providing a lot of organized opportunities and projects. So um, that takes a lot of my time as well. And then, of course, I do all the administrative work for the program too and support our pro bono committee. So just a uh, a variety pack. (laughs) Is there anything you wish you could be spending more of your time doing if you had, you know, another 100% time? <laughs> like, what? what's on your wish list that you would do if you had more time? If I had more time, I think it would just be nice to be able to focus um, on creating more projects, more organized projects, just 
So systemically, we could try to probably find solutions for some of our our bigger issues, especially those, you know, with custody and divorce and really getting to those folks that are just, as you probably understand, lost in the gap of services. If I had more time, it would be nice just to be more of a, I guess, a creator of of programs um, and working with, of course, a lot of people to do that. Um, I guess that's probably... I guess that's probably my answer to that. No, that's a great answer. You mentioned briefly the f- working with the firm's pro bono committee. Could you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that? What's the firm's pro bono committee like? What do you do? What do they do? How do you interact and work together? Okay, so we have um, a fairly sizable committee made up of both partners and associates, and we try to have at least one person from every office on the committee. Um and we have, I think, uh, 17 offices now, so um, we're fairly widespread. Um, and so the committee, um, one of the, we have a committee, um, and then we have subcommittees as well within that committee. Um, and so I work with, for instance, the committee that reviews all the new pro bono that's coming into the farm so that we review and approve it. Um, I work on the other subcommittee, which starts new projects, have a a subcommittee for policy. Um, Let's see, we also have a committee that monitors, you know, people's time and time entry. So um, with all of that, I kind of coordinate with all the folks on the pro bono committee. Um, We also have a committee that does um, the publications um, that, you know, acknowledge people's great work and our annual report. Um, So it's... it's, um, it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of work to coordinate, but I also have my hand in each one of those subcommittees to um, you know, try to just keep promoting what we need to accomplish um, on an annual basis. I will do a quick shout-out to your publication subcommittee because your annual report, which is available on the firm website now, is a great source of information about the pro oh, bono program and all the great work you're doing, and it gave us a lot of ideas of things to talk about today. So okay, the, well, <laughs> the right. source for a lot yeah, of our discussion points. When we do, yep. we, I know a lot of people do it on an annual basis, but it really does take quite a bit of time to put together you know, just the highlighted, of all the work you do, just the highlighted um, articles. So we do it every two years now, so I'll also be doing that at the end of this year. Um, but that's a that, that's a pretty big uh, thing to accomplish is this pro bono report, so I'm sure all the other coordinators will tell you as well. Yeah, and it's a huge undertaking, and I really, I was intrigued by the idea of doing it every other year, just to balance the sort of time-intensive <laughs> nature of it. And maybe yeah, I almost kind of had getting, to. Yeah, um, and yeah. then to just, you know, you, you have so many different things to select, but then to be able to kind of, you get a little bit more information to kind of group into certain categories to really highlight the work. So um, I'm glad you like the every two years because <laughs> it, is, it is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great idea. So aside from producing the annual report, which is clearly, you know, a lot of work, but very rewarding, what are the favorite parts of your job? What do you like the most? Yeah, when, when I think about that, I think probably what I like the absolute most about my job, um, and I'm just blessed to have it, is just honestly just the people it's the people that I meet working with the nonprofits. They're just this remarkable group of people nationwide that are just so inspiring and talented and devoted and have taught me so much along the way. And then 
I'd have to say just working with the attorneys as well, because I really, being, you know, on the billing side as well within a large law firm and then understanding the pro bono side, I mean, you really do have to carve out a lot of time to do your pro bono work. And um, I'm just really kind of amazed at the, the lawyers that, that do that and are always kind of up for a new challenge, even if it's outside of their normal practice area. So it, I, I would say I would group them and in, in the people that I'm also referencing. And then I guess just the clients, too, that um, come forward and just how grateful they are for our help and just to, to meet the clients. Um, that are just have such difficult circumstances, and yet they just seem to be the most grateful people, even for the little amount of help sometimes that we do give them. So all in all, I think the best part of my job is just working with everybody. Yeah, or everything, which explains how you could stay in your role for 25 years. <laughs> that's, yeah, 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 that's a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I just am humbled quite a bit yeah. Um, yeah. having this job. So, um yeah, I would say it's the people. It's a great perspective. And what do you think, looking back, are your greatest challenges? That's easy. I just don't have enough time. Yep. Yep. Time. <laughs> I'm sure yep. that's the standard response. Yep. yep. Well, it's true. I, I mean, mean, there's so much to do yep. and there's yep. so little time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm curious, as someone who, you know, A, has been at the firm for a fairly good chunk of time and B, has, you know, been involved leading the pro bono program for a good chunk of time. Um, let's look back a little. You know, what's changed the most? You talked about growth, you know, the size of the firm that's changed <laughs> that's right. since mm-hmm. you've been there. What else has changed about um, the law firm, your role, and pro bono at the firm over, you know, your time, looking back over, let's just say, the decades? I would say just the organization of pro bono internally, And, you know, the expectations have changed that, you know, it really in our firm is part of our culture, but there's that high expectation for pro bono. Um, We have organized ourselves. But I think probably over the years, um, the obvious answer is just um, technology um, has changed and the technology integrated with pro bono. It really, it's made my job um, quite a bit easier, I think, just because I can use technology in my words to inspire people, and it's easier to um, get people involved just just through it. So I would say over the long haul that just the technology piece has been very helpful to, you know, inspire people to do pro bono. And when you talk about technology, are there particular programs or aspects or um, tech tools that, that you use to communicate or inspire or that you have in mind when you talk about technology? I just think it just makes everything so much easier and faster, and um, I can wordcraft to get people to understand what projects are faster. I can get people involved faster. It's just the ability to reach out to more people, um, and as you grow as a firm, too much email and not enough conversation. So I think just the, the system of being able to reach many people would just you know, this is what we're doing, or just also the system of being able to say, wow, look what somebody else has done and give the accolades through the use of technology. I just I just think that's been the biggest impact and the biggest change, other than, the, of course, the growth, which growth gives you many other challenges as well. I think with the growth having the technology, it, it has been too much of an issue um, to introduce myself and then to get to know people. 
Yeah, um, I think that's that's what I would say. His looking back has has been one of the things that has really kind of changed with Carbono. Sure. Do you have any lessons learned? Like, if we had the Nora of twenty five years ago on the mm-hmm. line with us, <laughs> what would you tell her that you know now that you wish you knew then? Get that question a lot, and I'm not <laughs> really sure how to answer it because. Um, you know, as time changes, you change with it. I think probably the one thing I can probably say about this job and, and being in it, what I've learned from it is really that even the smallest act of legal pro bono kindness is just so very impactful. And that's what I, that's what I think I've learned through this job is and it doesn't have to be all of these wonderful big projects and doing things just because, you know, they're the thing of the moment. I really think just as coordinator, I I have really learned that it's just really that legal act of kindness that can just change somebody's life in an instant. And I think that's what I just try to hang on to is it doesn't have to be all the big flashy stuff. It really just needs to be providing that really essential service. I think that's such a wonderful tip and takeaway for all of us. I think there's this tendency to minimize what we're doing, right? Just, it's just helping one person. It's just helping with this little problem. It's only just, you know, and it's sort of minimizing the impact and the value. And I love the idea of the power of the smallest act of pro bono kindness that that I'm stealing that. So thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, pro bono, it's just powerful for those that are doing it, and it's just, it's even equally, if not more so, powerful for those that receive it, and that's just kind of, that's just kind of my, my motivation is to just keep going, because if you touch people by just delivering a service that you are, are good at doing, then then you are making a difference, even if it's a small one. Yeah, that's a perfect segue to my next question. I think they go hand in hand really nicely. And that's, what have you found either over time or currently works best to encourage lawyers at the firm to to do pro bono work and to get involved? What are your sales Mm -hmm. pitches like? (laughs) I think I have learned over the years that the lawyers are just very busy. They have a lot of other pressures on them. So I have just decided and realized that you have to provide the opportunity. Now, some go out and do look for it because they they have very specific interests. But in general, I think for those that are just so busy that I have realized that it, if you create something that is interesting, then they will participate. But you have to say, here it is, and then you have to always back it up with training because um, I'm sure every other coordinator's told you there's just that sense of, well, I don't know how to do that. That's out of my comfort level. So if you give them something that's interesting and you give them several different interesting matters to jump into and then you provide the training, I, I find that that's an incentive to get a lot of people involved. So I would say project-based opportunities with training is kind of what I've done to incentivize many to um, get involved. Um, and then there's those that, you know, that don't, they don't really know where to find it, but they know what they're interested in, and then you just try to help them find it. But um, I think the interesting projects with the training is the way to go. Yeah, it's a little bit like a field of dreams for people who know that movie and that line, right? Like if you build yeah. it, they will come. And so you're the architect, you know, you, you can build okay. it and, and then right. 
seamlessly mm-hmm. make it easy for people to plug in and, and do the work. Right. You, yeah. you have to because everybody, as you know, has their work challenges and their life challenges. So yeah. if you can just provide it and it's an, there's easy access to it, um, I find that, that I have no trouble getting people to volunteer. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. I think that's going to be a light bulb moment for some people. So inspired Mm -hmm. by the projects that you've built and the work that you're doing, I wanted to talk about some of the programs that you have and and the work that you're doing. And the first one that comes to mind, and I think it talks to the theme that you talked about, about, you know, really helping people and not always chasing sort of a sexy topic or, (laughs) you know, a trendy um, pro bono matter but really urgent need. And this is the work that the firm does um, for the homeless, including what you call Project HELP, which stands for Homeless Experience Legal Protection. So could you tell us a little bit about that and the work that the firm does for uh, to help homeless uh, clients? I, yeah. So that, that was something that we put into place a long time ago. And our, our firm really can't take much credit for that because that is um, a program that started in New Orleans with the amazing Jay Zaney, um, a judge um, in that area. And he actually has taken Project Help um, nationwide. So um, we actually had heard Judge Zaney speak, I believe, at one of the ABA um, annual seminars and just got in touch with him and asked him a little bit about his work and then brought Project Help to Columbia, South Carolina. And of course, it's it's in many cities around the country. What we've done more recently with the homeless is have been working on creating homeless courts. So we have a homeless court here that we work closely with the public defender's office and the solicitor's office and a group of um, judges. And the homeless court was created here in Columbia, South Carolina, which has been very successful. And then we also had participated in another homeless court that just started last month in Charleston, South Carolina. So it's this huge group effort that Nelson Mullins can't take credit for. We're just participating in helping to start homeless courts. Um, and hopefully we'll be we'll be doing that in some other cities now that we kind of have a model for it. And then we got a lot of help from that from San Diego, of course, who has the model program. And uh, Lisa Borden helped us a little bit um, at Baker Donaldson in Alabama to show us her court. So that has been some of the current work that we have done for the the homeless. And we're very involved in, with several homeless providers as well and, you know, just supporting them and some of the homeless groups. So for people who may not be familiar with, you know, special homeless courts, could you just briefly mm-hmm. tell us what they are, why they're important, and then what the firm's role has been? Well, I think the homeless have the hardest and biggest challenge for them is if they do have something on their record which keeps them from being able to go into housing or to find a job. So um, these are minor misdemeanors that um, are reviewed and then um, if they are working with a service provider and have showed progress with the service provider um, and, and are, are seriously trying to get out of homelessness, then their charges are reviewed. And um, if they go through the court experience, considered to um, be discharged. And so um, that is pretty much how the homeless court um, homeless courts work, I think, in most areas is, is, that you, is you hope that those charges will um, be taken off the record so that they can move forward and get employment and 
hopefully some housing. Thank you, Nora. I think that's a really helpful background to people know. Another client group that the firm's done a lot of work for are veterans. Could you talk a little bit about the firm's work for veterans? Right. So, um, let's see, I think it's going to be three years in May where um, we worked closely with a South Carolina Appleseed Legal Justice and started a clinic when when clinics really hadn't started yet for, for veterans. Um, so we have what's called, um, with Appleseed, we support Appleseed with um, Lawyers for Vets, which is a clinic um, that is at our local veterans hospital, and it is uh, once a month. And so the firm has supported the clinic by creating a um, call-in 800 number, and we have screened in the last three years, we have screened 2,500 veterans for their legal needs and set appointments to come to the clinic. And so we adopt usually two to three clinics a year. And here in Columbia, um, other firms have been fantastic and bar members about adopting a month and are trained to do expungements, pardons. Um, we do child support modifications. MID issues, provide simple wills and medical directives, um, and I think that's it. We were doing consumer at one time, but um, just didn't see the consumer issues as much as the others. So um, we have served quite a few veterans, um, and so that is one of the programs that we do. We do also the Operation Stand Down, um, I know the Tennessee office does a good bit of that. Um, and then we do help a lot of veterans just through other service providers if they have issues and cases that they want us to take on. We also do that. We've got some other nonprofits that we also assist um, with veterans issues. So you mentioned earlier, I think this was under the, if you had more time, <laughs> something that you would focus on was the impact side or bringing about systemic change. And mm -hmm. the firm has been involved in some impact litigation that I thought would be interesting to talk about. In South mm -hmm. Carolina, you were involved in litigation to change the parole system and also a historic lawsuit to improve the conditions and treatment of prisoners mm -hmm. with mental illness. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about those efforts, how they got to the firm and, and the big uh, initiatives right. that those took on. Mm -hmm. Our historic case um, came to the firm through um, perfect excuse me, protection and advocacy for people with disabilities, who is uh, a large pro bono client of our office. And they saw all the problems that were happening in our prison system with the treatment of um, mentally ill prisoners. So um, 12, well, maybe 14, I think it's been 14 years um, ago, um, there was a team of attorneys here, Dan Westbrook and Stuart Andrews and several others that decided that that we need to look at this. And, of course, it was 14 years of litigation. And then we actually actually went to trial, I think, for three weeks and were successful. And then the last couple years, they've been in negotiations with our Department of Corrections and have finally struck um, a settlement agreement and have been working to really make changes within the prison system as far as services and treatment of mentally ill prisoners. So our class, so we represented a, a protection advocacy and then a very large class of 
prisoners with mental illness. So that has been quite a historic uh, case, considering there's about 35 severely mentally ill offenders in our prison system. Um, And the firm didn't seek damages. They just wanted to see the change in culture and policy and procedure in our Department of Corrections. So that is that case. And then very proud of the work that um, a handful of lawyers have done as far as our parole parole system. Um, And they did um, uh, make changes, um, actually the uh, case that went to the South Carolina Supreme Court about how they were actually um, voting um, in the system of voting um, at the parole hearings. Um, We're successful in that, and since since that has happened, we've um, been representing several others at their parole hearings, and today I believe we're um, up to representing nine different prisoners that have since been released on parole um, and continue to um, interact with with most of those prisoners after they have been released and have been um, very successful citizens since. So that that parole um, work, I just can't even describe to you <laughs> when somebody's been in prison since the 80s and they walk out for the first time and then are free and you just see them going to work and being successful again and and these clients come up at Christmas with presents and write thank you notes all the time. Um, it it is just um, quite amazing um, to see that work. And um, there's a paralegal that does a lot of that work here at our law firm too, and is very tied to those within the prison system um, to help identify those that really should be considered for parole. And she works with all this with some prison ministry people that also help identify um, those prisoners that should be represented at their parole hearing and really has dedicated her life to it as well. So I just really watch and go to these um, these events that they have for these released prisoners and just um, I'm just amazed at, at, at that work. Obviously, it's completely life-changing. Yeah, that's the word that popped into my mind, life-changing. And I think we need to add that story under the best part of your job because it's clearly very moving, right, and gratifying. And- yeah, and I <laughs> wish I was more involved in those cases because, I mean, really what they're doing is just incredible for those individuals. And, I, and like I said, there's been nine of them, um, and many of them that were charged and should not. They were innocent. They should not have been charged. So, yeah, that that... That work is fully supported by the firm. So I had a follow-up when we were talking about the prisoner mental illness class action, sort of big cases that go on for decades. How, mm-hmm. Is that a tough sell? I mean, that takes a tremendous amount of the firm's resources, both, you know, does. manpower, yeah. human power, attorney power, pe- people power, and, you know, sort of costs, money, uh, disbursement. So how how... What's what sort of the criteria or what's the sell to take on something that large? I think the criteria in the sell is, is it something that really needs to be reviewed and, and does this need to be changed? Then, you know, there is, of course, a budgeting process for it that we also do internally within the firm. And then you just have the commitment and devotion, I mean, to hang in there for 14 years. You know, that just says a lot about um, the lawyers that are committed to the issue. So, um, you know, we we look at it all very carefully. We get the buy-in by the firm, and then we just 
go forward and commit to it. And so, yeah, um, that case did take a, a good bit of commitment, but nobody ever wavered for 14 years. Yeah. So, um, but there is a, a you know a budgeting process within the pro bono committee for large projects. Thank you. I'm sure people heard that and were wondering, hmm, <laughs> how do we take yeah. on something that's going to last that long? What What do I need to know about what tips to navigate the it, process? You don't know yep. it's going to last that right. long either. Right. So right. Um, it just takes some very creative budgeting as it, as it moves forward. Yeah. But, um, and as, I, as you mentioned, committed people, you need champions. You know, I'm sure the lawyers who were willing to work on it cared very passionately about it, and they weren't going to abandon it no matter how long it took. You know, they, they're bringing their full force of their advocacy powers, and so it's, it's getting champions for the projects also who are going to be, as you said, fully committed and, and stay with it. And then, you know, yeah, and, and committed thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars as well. That's just the pro bono program. <laughs> yeah, but we're going to cancel the just because we're not going to minimize. That is a testament, right? right? It's exactly, uh, you know, sort of, we're not going to minimize. We're going to celebrate and acknowledge. Well, right, yep, yep. right. And be proud. And it's the <laughs> leadership behind it. I mean, it's just not the pro bono program. It yep. is our very strong, firm leadership and belief in uh, what, what that case meant and what we are doing on other cases. So it, it, we have that we have that support from our higher executive committees. That, that's a great point because none of this really works without leadership support. So that's that's quite critical. Um, I wanted to ask about two pro bono clients that were featured in the annual report because I think they help round out the picture to show the depth and breadth of your pro bono work. And they have cool names and cool missions, so I think they'd have some sticking power. So we here at PBI are an office of bikers, and I mean bicyclists, including producer Dave, who is a big cyclist. Ah, me, not personally. I... I'm too lazy for that, but uh, <laughs> a lot of our staff is, including biking to work. And one of your pro bono clients, I think, has an amazing name and amazing mission and ties right into our cycling community. And they mm-hmm. are the Burrito Riders. So could you tell <laughs> yeah. us a little bit about the Burrito Riders? Their mission is amazing. Their work's amazing. And uh, how the firm hooked up with the Burrito Riders? I think, if I'm not mistaken, um there's a, a attorney in West Virginia that actually, I don't know if they're actually friends or they're acquaintances. So um, I think it was just how it typically works. Um, and, you know, just had that personal connection and contact of the lawyer. And that's kind of how it works in our Virginia office. Our Virginia office, it has 100% participation in that office. I don't know if it's just because it's a small community, but it's a very a community that's very tied into the issues and always just reach out for support. So our West Virginia office just does this variety of remarkable pro bono um, uh, and does a lot of uh, litigation verse and, and nonprofit work. So um, I believe this was Rob Sellers' case, and um, this initiative is a nonprofit that was just started where they get on their motorcycles um, I'm not sure how often they get on them, but they get on them a good bit and deliver burritos. Um, and it might even be a bicycle. I, I'm sorry, I'm just not sure if it's motorcycles or bicycles. It might be both, but yep. they actually deliver hot burritos to the homeless yep. on their bicycles. Yep. Yeah, they deliver the breakfast burritos. 
And yeah, it is. Um, I think you can even look at their website. It, it's a mission that has, I believe, going far and wide. Yep. Um, but you're right. It's just a really, it's just a really cool idea. It is. I um, love the name. Get your community together. Yeah, to I love the fun. name. I love the cause. I love the idea. Yeah. And they're mm-hmm. making a real difference. And I think by having the firm's legal assistance, they're able to fulfill their mission, you know, and really help people. And it's a, yeah, it's but a, you also have yep. people actually seeing homelessness by doing it. So you yep. have these volunteers go out, and it's just not, yeah, you know, oh yeah, the homeless and people's idea of what that means. Yep. I think that I think probably through that mission, they've learned that there just isn't, you know, the street homeless. There's all these other people out there that maybe living in cars or families with children or just displaced, yep. and now we're considered homeless. Yep. So um, I think they go out twice a month to deliver the burritos, and I'm sure they have a lot of volunteers that participate. Yeah, it's just a cool project. I knew our listeners would yeah. enjoy yeah. hearing about it. Yep. So another one, really different, but also cool in its name and its emphasis. And it sounds so intuitive. Once I thought about it, I'm like, I like, duh, that seems so great. Could you tell us about the Global Soap Project? Okay, so the Global Soap Project was out of our Atlanta office. Um, we were involved in that a couple of years ago. And um, that that project was interesting because I didn't realize that really the leading um, causes of death of children in some of our undeveloped countries are um, due to the fact that it's just poor hygiene. Um, And so there was a very large national hotel chain that came up with the idea of um, recycling soap. Um, And so um, they took some of the used soap from the hotels and created new bars of soap and then deliver them to these poor communities um, in some of our extremely undeveloped countries. And so they're saving a lot of lives every year through the Global Soap Project. And um, the attorney that worked on that um, actually isn't in our Atlanta office anymore, but I know that he was very devoted to this project and did a lot of corporate work um, for this global issue. So I love the idea of sort of, wow, here's a problem. Wow, obvious solution, right? Hotel soap. I mean, we all think about our hotel toiletries, uh, right? And so I, if we can only put two and two together, and I think it harkens back to what we were talking about earlier about people's passions, you know, whether it's for an organization that has a cool mission or solving a problem that really resonates for you and applying our legal skills to help yeah. make a difference. Yeah. It's kind of funny because in college, I did actually work as a chambermaid. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It was nice. It was on Nantucket, but I did work as a chambermaid, and I was like, all, and I worked for somebody that would never throw out a bar of soap, ever. (laughs) She would, she was through the depression, and she just, so we would have to collect all this soap in all these buckets. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, and I think a lot of people still do that, but, you know, if we had just realized that we could have done more than just collect it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And to put it to use, so hats off to, um the hotel chain that actually thought that through and uh, we were glad to to help with that mission. Yeah, that's fantastic. So do you have any other examples that you wanted to share of pro bono work or matters that have been particularly meaningful for you? I would probably say um, it's just really hard to kind of pick just a favorite. I'm just sure. not into picking favorites. Yeah, like picking your favorite child. You're not doing that. So. Yeah, I just can't. 
I just can't kind of whittle it down. Um, I would say, you know, I was just so inspired by Anthony Hayes, who started Wheels for Heroes after 9-11. He was just a young associate and said, I've got to do something. And so, of course, the farm um, started very small and created the Wheels for Heroes project that, of course, um, the ABA picked up and now is across the country. But that was just based on a young associate that's, that actually had worked in the towers at one time and said, I just have to do something. I thought that that just me was just quite an amazing project that he um, worked extremely hard on and saw through. Um, I would say um, just all the impact, um, uh, the work for the lawyers. Um, The other project that I just, find to be very satisfying is um, our guardianship program where we help profoundly disabled children um, and their parents or caretakers become guardians so that they can continue to make decisions after they transition to adulthood at 18. Um, And that has been a project um, where we have served a lot of people in South Carolina and have now kind of turned it into a model and are taking it to um, Atlanta, Georgia. So we are just starting there with Atlanta Legal Aid to start that program. Um, the people that help those children to me are just angels on earth. So I have found that to be a very gratifying program to assist um, those children, as well as the program um, that was started by a young associate that actually was a school teacher and became a lawyer, and that is the education program where we also are representing children with special needs um, get the education they need within our school systems. That that has also been um, quite impactful. Um, there's been several others. I mean, the race and law project that's going on in Atlanta with um, Appleseed in um, Georgia. There's just a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to pick. That's for sure. It's could you, really since you, hard to pick over the years. Yeah, there's just been so many. Since but, you um, mentioned it, could you tell us a little bit about the race and law project for people who um, aren't familiar? Yeah, yeah. That's a, of course, of course, you know of all the issues with the race and law enforcement, and so that is one that is kind of one of our uh, one of the hot topics that um, uh, Georgia Appleseed has focused on, and so. The law firm kind of took a role, and other law firms, I believe, were involved in this as well, but we took a role and um, spent time um, uh, identifying and talking to, I think, at least 350 statewide stakeholders that deal with law enforcement and race issues in Georgia and um, have worked with the Georgia Bar and, of course, many community leaders and other groups um, within Atlanta and we took all that information that we gathered over quite a period of time and then um, created a report with numerous action items. Um, so that is one that um, is ongoing. Um, you know, there's been other cases, of course, the, the large case we did a long time ago with the juvenile justice issues here and continue to work on, on that. Um, and then... Um, Georgia as well helped recreate the um, Juvenile Justice Act over there, and we're continuing to see if it's, if the changes have really made a difference or not in the state of Georgia. Um, just several. We just finished up a um, 
very large project with AARP where we looked at how our um, vulnerable adults, uh, the services, and how they're being treated in our state and writ a very and reviewed all that information with stakeholders and created a working group and have written a report and recommendations on changes that need to be made um, with that system as well. So, you know, the policy work with the individual cases, um, and there's just been so many over the years that um, just currently those are the ones that just um, kind of stand out. No, that's amazing. What's mm-hmm. on the horizon? Is there anything you want to give us a sneak peek about that you're working on or have in the works? We have gone back, actually, um, and with our clinic and protection and advocacy and have worked with many others, and um, we're trying to uh, build a better juvenile justice system for South Carolina children and have written a, a kind of a model report for that as well. I think that's probably one of our current projects that's taking place right now. I mean, there's several others, but I just don't know if I want to jump out there sure. and, and talk about them. We'll, I know um, we'll check one back. of the other projects, you know, and I, I, I'm talking about all this, but really what I need to stop and tell you is that we have a lot of lawyers in our firm, which may be different from other firms that do a tremendous amount of corporate pro bono. So I, I cannot get off the interview without yeah. telling you about the corporate work that's done Um by so many of the lawyers, because I think that most people say that they have trouble with finding corporate opportunities, but that has just not been the case for us, Um, especially in our Atlanta office. um, There's a wonderful group over there called Pro Bono Partnership that works with nonprofits and identifies uh, legal needs, and um, we have supported them for years, and it has just been this tremendous source of corporate pro bono for us, um, not only just um, domestically, but some global work from them as well. Um, and then we have a lot of our tax lawyers, um, Wells Hall in our Charlotte office that has got, has got many other tax lawyers involved with the ABA program where they actually go to the military bases to teach tax preparation and so that those officers can then go and serve the military with helping with uh, tax preparation. That's that VITA um, Adopt-A-Base program, um, which um, is a very large time commitment to go to all those bases, but the tax lawyers and the corporate lawyers have been doing that. But lots of corporate work is being done to help a lot of very interesting nonprofits. But all this work can't be done without those relationships with um, these um service providers and nonprofits that are just making such a big difference in communities. And we just get the pleasure of working with them to help them and to help these groups to, to help the low-income population. So um, I, I just can't say enough and thank them enough for the opportunities that they provide to us as well. It's not like I'm sitting here thinking of this stuff. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's a... It's, it's relationships with these other remarkable people that are doing all this work and that provide those opportunities to us. So they're the ones, I mean, maybe for your podcast, you want to talk to some of them as well because they really are doing so much. And we all get awards, but I think they all, they all should be recognized 
can be getting the awards right along with us. Oh, I agree. And we've had a number of public interest leaders on our program, but this is great. If you have a public interest leader that you work with or have in mind, so and you would, you would like to so have many, us yeah. <laughs> invite them on the show, just let us know. Listeners, Nora, anybody, just email us yeah. at probono at probonoinst.org with your suggestions. I think that's great. And Nora, I really also want to thank you for helping me in the fight against the perception that pro bono is just for litigators, because you've done a great job, right, about talking about how your business lawyers, your tax lawyers, your transactional lawyers can get involved and make huge differences. Absolutely. They they are help. I mean, I don't know the figure offhand, but I mean, hundreds of nonprofits in the Georgia area. So, and as soon as I send those opportunities off, um, they are they are more than willing. I mean, we've done mergers. We've done the global work. I mean, it's challenging stuff, but um, it's, of course, you know, it's also a way to really hone your skills and you get some training from it, but they do it, I think, just because it's interesting and it's making a difference. So, yeah, um, just want to brag on our corporate lawyers a bit. <laughs> yes, that's that's perfect and inspiring and a wonderful note for us to end on. So thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much to Nora for joining us today. New and archived episodes of the podcast can be found on iTunes and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And please take a moment to leave an iTunes review. It's quick and easy to do. We'd appreciate the feedback, and it would help make it easier for other listeners to find the show and expand the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. And if you want to learn more about Nelson Mullins' pro bono efforts, search our archives for the episode with the amazing George Coffin. To learn more about PDI, you can find us on the web at probonoinst.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, feedback, and suggestions to probono at probonoinst.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.